Good morning. My name is Craig. I get to be the lead pastor around here. A few years ago, many years ago now, when Amy and I moved to Louisville, we decided we wanted to live in the heart of the city. And we were able to afford living in the heart of the city, because I don't know if you know this, Louisville's in Kentucky. Not a lot of people just itching to move to Kentucky. Uh, but so we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and, and we're really excited. We're like, oh man, this is going to be great. We're going to live downtown. It's going to be so fun. This is great. And so we're like kind of looking around, and I find like Louisville's Brooklyn. All right, it was this neighborhood called Germantown. I'm like, oh, we're going to move in Germantown. This is going to be awesome. We're apartment shopping. I find one. And just to give you a frame of reference, we were living in a, before this, we were living in a studio apartment for twelve or $1,300, and now I found a three-bedroom apartment for $400 in Louisville's Brooklyn. So excited. So I'm like, hey, we'd like to rent your apartment on Craigslist. Come check it out, was the reply. Fantastic. So I drive over to Germantown. It's like, oh, coffee shops, oh, bars. Oh, this is so cool. We're going to get to live here. Oh, here it is. This is great. I wait. You know, I'm trying to be cool. Like, you know, don't be too excited. You know, you want to get the place. So don't be too anxious. You know, just being cool. And nobody shows up. Okay. So I call the number I had. Like, hey, just want to let you know I'm at the apartment. Like, where are you? Oh, I'm running a little late. You just run inside, take a look at it. It's unlocked. It's weird. Uh, yeah, you just let me know what you think about it. Okay, cool. So I hang up, and I go up these stairs, and I go to grab the door, and there's bees, like, flying all around the door. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, that's scary and weird. Okay, whatever. And I opened the door, and I had to get really good at, like, yoga really fast because there was no floor. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And it wasn't like no floor because they were doing construction. It was like no floor because it like was, there was a floor. And then years and years of disrepair and not caring for it. <laughs> and the walls, I'll never forget, there, there were colors on the walls that I've just never seen before. And so the bees that were on the door knob are also inside. So we shut the door. We go down the stairs. And I don't remember if Amy's with me, but I just remember having this overwhelming sense of, yeah, you can't, you can't see it. You can't look in there. Why? There are just places I love you too much to let you live. This is one of them. The God of the universe, if the Hebrew Bible teaches us anything, is that God can't just live anywhere. Yet the message of Philippians says... God has made his home, not with us, in us. Wow. Right? We wouldn't live anywhere. I don't care what you think about the world. There are places in Columbia, Missouri, you're like, yeah, I'm not going to live here. All right? We, we, we don't. Because we have people we love that we got to care about, we got to think through, and we got to be mindful. We just won't just move anywhere. Like, oh, hey, here's an open space. going to make this my home. No, 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 we, we're careful about where we live. But the Bible tells us God, very God, has made his home in us. Just think for a second if Bono came and sat beside you right now. Right? He's on a book tour. Uh, and he just came and just, boom, sat beside you. I guarantee you that would change something about you. You may not even know who Bono is. But if just, oh, Nick, as you're young, 
the young, for anyone under 30, he's the biggest rock star in the world, all right? Bigger than Mick Jagger, all right? The geriatrics on stage, the Rolling Stones. But Bono, if Bono came and sat beside you, whoa, God, very God, has come and made us his home. And that fundamentally changes us. And the question then we're left to wrestle with is how shall we proceed? This is grace. This is amazing grace. How then shall we live? And there's a temptation that we need to address this morning. We want a formula. All right? Just tell me what it is I need to believe, and then tell me what to do, and we're good to go. Right? Tell me what to believe. Okay, God lives, God lives in me. I'll believe that. Okay? Now tell me what to do. I need to know what to do. I need the formula. Alright? Like, we all know lots of formulas are great. Alright? Without formulas, we couldn't put gas in our car. Okay? All the engineers in the room are like, please don't knock formulas. We need formulas. And... If your relationship with God is built on the formula, just tell me what to believe and then tell me what to do, I would be willing to bet you that you have a very frustrating relationship with God. If your relationship with God is built on the formula, tell me what to believe, then tell me what to do, it's a frustrating place to be. I mean, look, formulas are helpful on first dates, right? Tell a little bit about me. Ask about them. That's a formula that works on dates. You start getting to know that person and you got formulas, whoo, it's going to be really frustrating. I have frustrated many people. The staff, tons of you, I, I learned this thing. I'm like, oh, I'll just use it in conversation. Is I hear somebody saying something and they're really upset about it and I say, I hear you. All right, that was my formula. That can be really frustrating. It's like, ah, you're just using a formula. I want to talk to a real person. Don't just tell me you hear me. Actually hear me. Formulas frustrate relationships. We're people who God has made his home in. He lives in us. It changes things. So, well, what do we do? How do we do that? Give us a formula. And we don't get one. We want grace to make our lives easier. And that is not always the case. We want God's blessing to cater to our idol of clarity. And that is not always the case. When God comes and makes us his home, it changes everything. And we need to get our minds around that. We need to figure out how that changes things. And, and, and Paul is describing that and he doesn't give us, okay, here's the two-step process that you go through to live with the living God. Now that God's address is you do believe this, then do this. No, it's a real living relationship. And my concern is that in looking for a formula and looking for things to hold on to, we can fall into two pitfalls. We can cling to the past and we can minimize relationships. In the passage we're going to look at, Paul orients our vision toward the future. He says we're on a journey toward something. Don't make the road home. And then as we're on that journey, he says, you need, you need travel companions. You need relationships. 
And he says, hey, don't, don't cling to the past success. Okay, I know I'm doing well. Here's what happened in the past. No, look forward. Don't look for formulas. Look for relationships. Easier said than done. Because it's all stemming from this new identity. The reason the series is called Identity and Belonging is the passage we're about to look at today. Paul has given us this identity that shapes and motivates and sets us on this trajectory. He calls us in chapter 3, verse 20, citizens of heaven. That's who we are. And the task is, hey, how do we believe that and let that rearrange how we live without that becoming a formula? Like it really is overwhelming and amazing. So where this sermon is going to land we're going to take two minutes to sit in silence. This is landing towards silence, okay? And you're like, two minutes in silence, that's nothing. It, talk to the first service. Some of them were like ready to just run out of here. We're landing there because we want to, we want to live in a greater awareness of that relationship. So that's where we're going to land. But on the way there, Paul tells us two ways we can really own this identity without making it a formula. Two ways we can own this identity. What it means to be a citizen of heaven. Without looking back, without turning relationships into formulas. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Philippians 3.12 all the way to verse 21. Philippians 3.12 through 21. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians 3. 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. My brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on Toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I've often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny, destruction. Their God, their stomach. Their glory, their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. God, we have been given this identity, citizens of heaven. What does that mean? How do we do that? Everybody's obsessed with politics. We're citizens of the U.S. Does that mean we don't pay attention? What, how do we navigate? God, you haven't given us a formula, but you're here with us. And you see our struggle. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to at least just believe that, that you're here with us and you see our struggle. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Paul wants us to really lay hold of this identity, this identity and belonging. We are citizens of heaven. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? You may have heard there's this old phrase that went around like, oh, they're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Right? Is that what that's Paul saying? It's like, hey, you live in heaven. You're just visiting this planet. So cash out. Don't worry about the needs of your neighbors. You're a citizen of heaven. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Don't think that's what he's talking about at all, actually. In the Bible, more often than not, when the Bible uses the word heaven, it's referring to the realm where God lives. Here's what he's saying. Your citizens, your passport, you, your identity, who you are, is a citizen of the place where God lives. Remember, God just won't live anywhere, but now he lives with us. And that's our identity. We're people who live in the place where God lives, where he's king. We're citizens of that place. What it means to be a citizen uh, is somebody, uh, the word that he uses is polytuma, and it, uh, uh, the citizenship is the force that regulates its members, right? Think about a family. Families take on different personalities. Like, not me. I'm an individual. I think differently than my family. No, like we're all, if you get your family together, we're all, they, they're this kind of group takes on this group identity. Some families are very angry, right? And very loud. And they yell at each other. Some families are very anxious, very afraid of everything. That's the, the force that regulates its members. The force that regulates the members of the citizens of heaven. What is that? It's our relationship with God. We're citizens of heaven. That's our identity. That shapes who we are. God lives with us. So how do we really own that identity? How do we make that ours? How do we embody that? How does that impact us on Monday through Saturday? Not just, oh, I had a nice Sunday. How do we take that with us into the week? Paul gives us two ways to do that. Two ways to really own this identity. The first one he talks about is in verse 12 and 13. He wants us to resist the temptation to rest on our laurels. What? What is, a, what is resting on your laurels? In the Roman Empire, you think about like the Olympics, you were given these laurel wreaths, right? And so the phrase resting on your laurels means trusting in past accomplishments. Luke talked about this last week, but Paul's given his identity. He's like, man, I was crushing it in the religious world. Right? I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I followed all these laws. I crushed it. And then here's what he says. Verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul is not giving bad psychological advice here. All right? He's not saying, did you have a hard past? Bury it. Forget what lies behind. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about this temptation that we all face to rest on our laurels. He's saying, look, I have a lot of accomplishments. People liked what I was doing. That's not where I'm getting my identity. My identity is this thing that I'm receiving in verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or am fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Why? Because I've also been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. I have something to brag about. And they're good things. That's not who I am. 
Well, how do we know that we're resting on our laurels? Here's one really great indicator. Oh, I'm afraid to say it because I like it, but I'm afraid to just say it. But here it is. The approval of others. Oh, the approval of others feels great. It feels really good to just be you and other people like it. Right? Like, so in my family of origin, uh, I've come from a bigger family, and like, we're just a very loud, intense family, and so people will be fighting, and I'll be like, hey, this person's saying this, that person's saying that, what about this? And sometimes it's like, wow, we've never heard such wisdom. That's why Craig's in this family. He's so helpful. And that feels good. That's right. God's blessing that. How do I know God's blessing it? They liked it. Sometimes this person's disagreeing with that person. I'm like, hey guys, shut up! What? No, like a minute ago, you liked that. Like, get out of here. Who do you think you are? You think, oh, Craig, the peacemaker. And it's like, ah, oh, but a minute ago, this was like really helpful, and we were all talking about how great I was, and that, oh. And what can happen is like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be this peacemaker type of person. So much of our lives, we rest on the approval of others. We get our identity from, did that go well? Did people like that? Oh, man, that must be who I am. Oh, this isn't going well. Yeah, probably I'm not doing the right thing. Paul's saying this. We've got to resist that temptation. That's what he's saying. He's saying if we're going to own our identity of citizens of heaven, what we have to do is forget what's behind, forget our past accomplishments. We can't rest on our laurels. If we're going to live in this place where he's talked about where there's a, like people... We, God lives with us, and we look around, and it's like, man, there's people who don't know this. They're not reached. They don't know that the God, very God, desires to live with them and know them. They don't know what Jesus has done for them. Sometimes that message is met with great enthusiasm. Sometimes it's met with, oh, you believe that? And we can't rest on our past laurels. The best way to stay exactly where you are is to rest on your past laurels the greatest way to kill growth in your life. Paul is saying, if we're going to be people who are growing, if we're going to be owning this identity, we have to own that we haven't fully arrived. Look at what he says. Not that I have already obtained this. We have to have this growth mindset with our identity. And this is some of that tension, right? We can't, there's no formula. Look at what he says here in verse 16. Here's what he says. Let's live up to what we've already attained. But what have we already attained? We're the place God lives. We're in Christ. The Father delights in us. Like, he loves us as children. We're dearly loved children. Okay, great. Now what? Ah, now that we've already attained to this. Wait, whoa, what? Ah! There's this tension that Paul's inviting us to live in. He's saying, don't rest on your past laurels. And in doing so, it creates this like, okay, there's still things I need to grow and work on. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. Some of you may hear that and think, okay, does God, God loves me. There's a secure attachment. We've talked about that. He said, you're my child. I love you. I'm for you. Great. And it's like, we haven't fully reached it there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this thing not secure? Like, do I have to like, he's saying I haven't fully attained this. Is there like, if I don't do this right, does God love me less? Like, ah, what's happening? See, we look at God like an overhead projector. Does anyone know what an overhead projector is? 
All right, back in the day, overhead projectors were these, these lights that you put a film on it, and then you could see the film. We all think, oh, I'm just seeing God without, like, without the film. I just see God as he is. We all see God through a film. And that film is through our past experiences. That film is how we've, how we've understood the world, how we've related to authority. And then however we relate to authority, we think that's what God's like. Right? My authority figures were distant. God is distant. So when Paul's saying, I haven't already obtained this, well, yeah, because God's hard to please. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. Paul's inviting you to the dance floor, okay? If any of you have ever been to a wedding, uh, there's, there's like always, inevitably, two groups of people that appear at a wedding, okay? There's the ones who are like, woohoo, we're going to get out there early, right? And we're going to, you know, we're going to do this. And then there's those that are just like back, kind of like, okay, okay. And then there's the others that are just like, mm-hmm. This is, mm-mm, this is not right. People should not be doing this, right? Those are all three radically different experiences. What we do with our bodies changes the experience. You come on the dance floor, you experience that wedding differently than you're back here with your arms crossed. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to own this identity. What he's saying in verse 16, he says, let us live up to what we've already attained. I want you to grow in your awareness. I want you to fully own who God says about you, this citizen of heaven. I want you to fully live there. And the way to do that is to know you're not fully there yet. It's not that God loves you less. It's not that the relationship is insecure. It's that we haven't fully grasped it. We haven't fully owned it. There's stuff we can do to live in a way that's more aware of this relationship. So it's not just like, I've been saved by grace. I've been loved. Nothing matters. I just sit back and feel loved. This is great. That's important. I don't mean to minimize that. But Paul's saying, look, we've got to press on, moving forward. Doesn't mean the relationship's insecure, but it means we keep, we keep trying to lay hold of this. We're, we are citizens of heaven. We're on the road to a greater awareness of living with God. So many of us can minimize God's work in our everyday life, but we're headed to a place where you can't because he's going to be the son. And we're going to just be aware of his working all the time. So don't make the road home. We're on the road. Don't say, this is good enough. I like this. And pitch your tent. See, like, we have temptations, especially right now, especially like this week in America, there's a temptation of like, yeah, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just cashing out, right? This is the midterms, right? And I'm sure all across the country, you're hearing there's sermons being preached right now of like, people on the right, people on the left. It's all very bad. We can't get along. We've never been this polarized. Oh, and be like, yep, I'm a citizen of heaven. Whew, the road's not home. We're headed out of here. It's actually not what Paul's saying because in the very next, next passage, he's inviting people into a conflict in their church. Being a citizen of heaven doesn't mean, whoo, I'm just passing through. I don't have to deal with all y'all's conflict. No, but what it does mean is, hey, I'm not from here. And we don't act like that, so I'm going to just bring joy and love, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control to some of these situations. Because I have a different governing force, right? I can imagine a future with Jesus, so whoever's in office, it, yeah, it matters, but it's not everything, right? 
I'm not going to just, I'm not going to live in, oh my goodness, there's this red wave coming. Ah, oh, there's a blue wave coming. Ah. I'm going to care. I'm going to get involved. But I'm not going to run and cash out. I'm also not going to make it home. Paul's saying we need to look forward. We're headed to a place where we're going to be so aware of God's presence with us because we're going to be with him. Faith is uh, the substance of things hoped for. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, we will one day receive those things hoped for. We don't have them yet. We're moving toward that. And he's saying that's the goal. He's like, how do we own this identity? We've got to have a growth mindset. I've not yet arrived. And that can be really scary for us. Because look at, here's what he, he goes on to say. First thing we need to do to own this identity, we can't, we have to have a growth mindset. We can't rest on our, la, our past laurels. The second thing we need to do is to find godly examples to imitate. Look with me at verse 17. Join together in following my example. Well, what has he already said about his example? Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, follow my example as we own this identity. I'm not perfect. See, like, we're like waiting for the Serena Williams of spirituality to just come into our lives and be like, I'll mentor you. I'm like, yes, finally, someone worthy who can understand the complexities of my life has just been plopped into my life to help me navigate. No! Paul, the Bible says, follow examples. Oh, by the way, I'm not a perfect example. So on the one hand, we want to avoid this like, I just follow Jesus. I don't, I don't need to read these other books. I don't need to hang out with other people. It's just me and Jesus. He's like, no, no, no. You need other people. Verse 17, follow my example to own this identity. And he's also trying to get us away from this thing of like, I'm going to let you down. I have not fully arrived. So especially those of us who've been hurt by churches, who have experienced spiritual authority that has been toxic and shaming and all those things. It can be like, whoa, I followed somebody and they led me to a rough place. I don't want to go there. Paul's leaving space for us when he says this. He says, I haven't already arrived or obtained to this, but I'm pressing on to make it my own. It's not saying, oh, people are going to disappoint you. Just find any old mentor. But he's saying, find people who are pressing on we're saying, I'm going to own this identity. I'm striving. I'm, str I'm trying to live this out. Um, Amy and I had dinner recently with Michael and Jill Acock. And Michael's the pastor at Christian Fellowship. And we were just talking about mentors. And I said, you know, mentors are so hard to come by, right? Like, I don't feel like, you know, before being a pastor, I ever really had any mentors. And Jill gave me this really helpful kind of formula to think about how to find mentors. She said, oh yeah, just take somebody out for coffee and ask them three questions. So I don't think she'd mind. I didn't ask permission, but I'm going to share those three questions with you. Right? It's three questions that you can just grab somebody and say, hey, I'm looking for someone, to, uh, an example I can imitate. So three questions. Tell me about the most courageous thing you've ever done. Right? You're like, that is a weird question. Who's going to answer that? If you ask that to someone, I've asked that to a lot of people, people have crazy answers for that. Crazy answer. What's the most courageous thing ever? You want to be a forward-facing person? Find courageous people. But how do you do that? All right? Second question. What are your most important habits? So first, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Secondly, what are your most important habits? And then thirdly, tell me something God taught you in a difficult season of life. And that's it. You're being mentored. 
You're finding godly people to imitate. You're hearing how they went through life. And they're like, man, I can practice this. I can do that. I can, I can, no, that doesn't work for my example. I can try this. And you're being mentored. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't even have to be over coffee. You can just find someone, ask them those questions. They may not even ever know that you've picked them to mentor you. Just finding people, asking those questions is joining Paul. What Paul's saying, Paul's saying this, follow me as you follow Jesus. And that's what we can do together. I mean, you can do, and please, you can do that with like books and with podcasts. Like we recommend books like it's going out of style. I recommend so many books and nobody reads them. So I, I just find, if you're like, I need a book about, I would love to recommend it to you. All right, we've been recommending this book, The Joy Switch by Chris Kersey. It totally helps you inhabit and own all the stuff we've been talking about. Don't minimize books. Don't minimize podcasts. And books and podcasts don't know you. They give very general advice. That's what they're supposed to do. They don't know, oh, I know your situation. Oh, actually, hey, take what I said, tweak it like this. But people who know you can do that. Here's what Paul's saying when he says, join, me, join in imitating. He's saying, many lessons are taught, but far more are caught. Many lessons are taught. We believe in teaching around here. And yet far more lessons are caught. When I was in seminary, I remember I just loved, I wanted to study the original languages, and I did, and I started digging in really deep. And I remember I, I got to a point where it's like, whoa, this is scary. There's just a lot of stuff as you start digging, and you're like, ah, we don't have an answer for this. What's that? And I remember I started like really feeling like the foundations of my house really starting to like, like cave in, and I got scared. I'm like, man, do I believe the Bible? Like, what about this? Ah, this is really scary. Should I quit ministry? I don't know what to do. And I remember a mentor of mine, Peter Gentry, I mean, this guy was like the nutty professor. He'd be like running across campus, and like papers would be flying out the back, and he'd just be running like that kind of guy. I mean, he would be invited to like secret conferences in the country of Georgia about the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that like nobody knew about and like presidents were there of like other countries. Like, okay. So I'm hanging out with him. We're asking questions about the Bible. And I remember he was like really tired. Like, oh, I didn't get much sleep last night. He goes, oh no. You know, uh, a couple at our church, they just had a baby and their, their basement flooded. And so I went over to their house and we just bucket by bucket cleaned out their basement. And then so the couple could get sleep, I sat uh, up near the baby so they could sleep. And I just thought, if somebody like that can believe the Bible, I can believe the Bible. Why? Because many good things, many lessons are taught, but far more are caught. I saw the transformation that the Bible had done in his life, and he loved it, and he went deep, and I was like, I can believe. If he can believe, I can believe. Wow. That's what Paul's inviting us into, relationship. There's no formula. I love formulas. I love formulas, okay? I don't like, like, romantic comedies or movies with lots of tension, right? So, like, once you figure out, though, oh, you know, man meets woman. One doesn't like the other. They start to like the other. Something bad happens. Uh, then there's a scene at an airport. Now they fall in love. That's every, what is that? Is that you've got male, sleepless in Seattle, serendipity. That's every romantic comedy, right? Formulas help us navigate the world, okay? We love formulas. But if you make your relationship with God about a formula, you're going to crush it. It's going to be stale. It's going to be frustrating. And what Paul is saying is that's not who we are. Let us live up to what we've already attained. You're not trying to earn this. 
You're trying to grow in a greater awareness of what you've already received. But some of us have still made the road home. Listen to what Paul describes uh, in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now tell you even again with tears. We can make the authors of the Bible so stale. Paul is writing this with emotion. He's weeping. He's deeply troubled. I tell you this with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny, destruction, their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. What's he saying? They've made the road home. They forgot where they're going and they've made the road home. How did they do that? I think one of the key ideas there is in verse 19, he says, their God is their stomach. When we make our appetites rule our lives, when the governing force, the force regulating us is our appetites, what, what can that look like? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's natural for a lot of commentators to go, that's sex. Right? They just, were, they just were just sexually greedy and just did all kinds of destructive behavior. That's a, that's a way. What else can it look like to have our appetites be our God? It can look like living for the approval of others. Man, if, I, if people don't love what I'm doing, it's not, nothing's all right. I need that. It's an appetite. What can, else can it look like? It can look like comfort. Love for comfort. Man, I just, I just, I don't want to be bothered by this relational tension. I just want things to be easy. What else can it look like? Love for money and stuff. I just want a big house. Uh, I just, I just want, when my neighbor gets a new car, I want him to look over my driveway and see, oh, I already got the newest Tesla. I just want you to know I matter because I, when I'm driving down the street, anybody looking at me can see I matter. Paul is describing people who've made the road home. And there's hope for us in verse 12 when he says, Now I have not already reached the goal or am fully mature. All of us make the road home. All of us at many times. We imagine a future without Jesus we imagine we're on our own, and then we act accordingly. We forget we're headed to a place where we dwell with him. We're headed to a place where we dwell with him in a way that we just can't ignore like we do now. We're headed to a place where we're growing more and more aware of his presence. Instead, we're like, no, we're on our own. We've got to take care of ourselves. This budget need, I, I've got. If I, don't, if I don't, who will? And we make the road home. We can do that with politics. I'm not going to be lazy. Like, I don't think, I genuinely don't think, like, things are as worse now than they've ever been. Like, we went through a civil war. That's pretty bad. So I don't, I'm not trying to minimize this hard moment. But it's also not going away. Right? How can we make the road home? We put all our hope in politicians. How can we make the road home? We demonize those who are in opposite parties. That's making the road home. Our citizenship is not in the Republican Party. Our citizenship is not in the Democratic Party. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's the governing force in our lives. So what I want to do, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to sing a song of invitation. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. 
And we're going to invite God to just, hey God, we believe you're here. And then after the band sings, we're going to have, I'm going to come back up and I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of repentance. I'm going to lead us in for, I'm just going to say two types of prayers. One type of prayer for those of us who've made the road home. That God, here's how I've just gotten comfortable. Here's how I have said, yep, I'm not headed there. This is it. Here's how I've been fearful. But the other type of prayer I want to pray is, I know that there are, in a room this size, there are people who have not yet fully received. They may not know that the God of the Bible wants to dwell with you. You've not yet trusted Jesus. And I want to lead you in a prayer, again, not magical, but just giving you words to say, hey, if you've not yet welcomed Jesus and say, hey, I want to, li- I want, I want to know you, I want to live with you, I want to receive, I'm going to lead you in a prayer for that. But this may be new for some of you, but I just want to invite you, this is an invitation to do something a little different. Right? It's very easy to like kind of bemoan social media. Like, oh my goodness, people can't sit still. All right? Well, now we're going to sit still. All right? Way, way easier to complain. We're going we're gonna to just sit still in silence for two minutes coming up. Don't worry. We'll lead you through it. But I just want to invite you just to back the truck up a little bit. Theologians talk about, and this is a theological word, God's omnipresence. What that means is God is everywhere. We affirm that, all right? Is here somewhere, 600 Sylvie Street, is Compass Church somewhere? Yes, okay. So can we then, if God is everywhere and Compass Church is somewhere, can we affirm God is here? Okay, great. Now, if God is here, can we also then affirm that he sees you? Yes. Now, just be aware of that. Just imagine, okay, God, you're here. I was told theologians believe you're omnipresent, you're here. All right, God, you see me. Okay. And we just want to invite you into that moment of trusting that he's here and he sees us. So the song we're about to sing is an invitation to say, God, just, I want to grow in that awareness. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. So we want, he's here and he sees us. We just want to grow in our awareness of that. That's all we're doing. And trust he'll do that. Put him to the test. All right? Okay. Let's crank this up a little bit more. You can have a seat if you're standing. The, uh, James says this. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Okay? Let's think about where we've been already this morning. Here's what we've said. God is here. 600 Sylvie Street. And he sees us. He's here. And he sees us. What else can we crank up a little bit? If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That promise. We believe the Bible around here, amen? We're going to claim that promise this morning. Here's how we're going to do that. We're going to pray two prayers of repentance. And again, remember we talked about overhead projectors? Some of you hear the word over, or you hear the word repentance through the film of your overhead projector. Oh, repentance means I need to feel really bad and kind of like Da Vinci Code, like, no. Look, the word repentance, what that means in Hebrew is it means to turn. Okay? 
So here's what that means, is turning toward Jesus. Now, when we turn toward Jesus, we turn away from things. That's, that's the inherent nature of turning. All right? And so this morning, as we pray, God, I've made the road home. That's repentance. That's turning. And when we draw near to God, when we turn, he draws near. We trust that. So we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to pray these two prayers, and you can pray along with me. And again, there's nothing magical about anything I say. I'm just trying to give words. So you in your seat may be able to say it better. Say it better. But if you just need to get started, take what I'm saying and pray it. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Philippians 3.17. After that, we're going to sit in silence for about two minutes. Now, I've been on a few spiritual retreats, and I remember on one spiritual retreat, someone said, we're going to sit in silence for a, a lot of amount of time. And someone I remember asked, like, yeah, what are we going to do? We're going to sit in silence. We're going to do what the psalmist says. We're going to be still and know that he's God. We're going to listen. We're going to trust that he is drawing near. We're going to, you know, and if you don't know what to do, just, God, I believe you're here. I believe you see me. Just keep, let that be like sort of just a guiding statement that you use through this time. You're here. You see me. Okay. So we're going to pray our prayer of repentance for those of us who've made the road home. Then we're going to pray our prayer of repentance for those of us who've never trusted Jesus. And then we're going to sit in silence. Will you join me in praying? Father, Father, we repent. I repent. God, I've made the road home again. God, your word tells me that I need to lay hold of what Jesus has laid hold of in me. But God, I haven't seen that. God, I have tried to go it alone. God, I've not seen you working to provide for my finances. I've not seen you working in our country. And so I've thought I'm on my own. God, I repent. God, I turn toward trusting you. God, I'm so grateful that when your, your word says that when I confess, you forgive. God, I'm so grateful for this identity that I've been given, that I'm a child. So I'm not confessing to earn anything or make anything true. You love me. The attachment is secure. God, help me to grow more aware of what you've already done in me. God, the road is great. I love the road, but it's not home. Help me to press toward home. Help me to do it with the people in this room around me. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Second prayer. Lord, I didn't know. God, I didn't know that you wanted to make me your home. God, I confess that I've, I've lived my life without you. I've tried to go it alone. Thank you for the good news that I'm not alone. God, your word says, as many as receive Jesus, you give them the right to be children of God. So God, I receive. 
I don't know. I've never heard the word repentance before, but God, I turn toward you. God, I trust that your word says that you're making me a citizen of heaven. You're changing my identity. I believe. I trust. God, thank you for making me your child, for loving me unconditionally, for the forgiveness of my sins in Jesus. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. And Father, as we're about to sit in silence for two minutes, God, I pray in the silence you'd let our minds make room for you and that we'd meet the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob in the silence. God, we pray that you would bless us and keep us and make your face shine on us. And we trust that you've already done that and you're not done yet. There's more blessing. There's more joy. God, I pray that that would be the goal we're pressing toward. God, thank you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. God, I pray as we sing this next song that the truth that we're about to sing would just work its way into our bones. In Jesus' name. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.